Now, I am Pastor Andrew, for those who don't know me. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, associate pastors here. And um, I get the pleasure of delivering today's message. Uh, We've been doing a series on the Psalms, the Psalms. Now, I don't know about you, when I heard we're doing Psalms, I was like not super excited. Let me explain, okay. Um, I like reading the Psalms. I don't like teaching from the Psalms because Psalms is poetry. And my worst grade in all of English class was in poetry, okay. I don't get poetry. It's like heart art, all that weird stuff. I'm, I'm more a head guy, like mind. I like logic. I like principles, you know. Uh, so I wasn't a big fan of poetry. I like reading it, but teaching it from, us, from, for, from Psalms has always been a challenge. Um, so I really asked the Lord to share what's on his heart and which Psalm he wants me to go with. So he led me to Psalms uh, chapter 139. Okay, you know that you have known me, you have searched me, you know me. Now, many of you might be familiar with the Psalms, there are many great principles from it. You can, you can talk about how God knows everything. He's everywhere. You can talk about how God cares about uh, the unborn baby. Um, there's some great principles from, from Psalms 139. I'm going to go a little different direction. I want to appeal to the heart today. I want to talk about the desire to be known, the de- desire to be understood, okay? And this is really a heart language of mine. Um, but to begin, I want to... Um, lead you guys and read the psalm together. Okay, Psalm 139. I'm going to read the whole psalm. I want to encourage you to read along with me. And I want to encourage you to read it not with your head, but with your spirit. Does that make sense? Read it with your emotions, okay? So um, let's read this together. Psalms 139. Okay. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And are acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shine as the day. The darkness and the light are alike to you. For you form my inward parts, you cover me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, knows my soul uh, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. My eyes, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I could count them, there would be more numbered than the sand. When I wake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my hearts. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray together. Father, Holy Spirit, we just ask you to reignite the desire in us to be known. That desire might be suppressed and pushed down into the deep parts of our heart. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you awaken 
Awaken that desire for intimacy right now, Lord, in our hearts. <laughs> in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Imagine somebody who knows all your thoughts, all your deepest desires. <clears throat> I'm going to grab my water real quick. I know where this is going. Imagine someone who knows your words before you even say it, who knows your deepest, deepest desires, tracks everywhere you go, everything you do. And I'm not talking about Alexa or Google or Facebook. I am talking about our Lord and King who knows everything about us. You know, in our culture today of confidentiality and privacy, do we even really want people to really know the deepest thing about our hearts? If you ask David, he says, yes. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for, too great for me to understand. See, David deeply embraces that God knows everything about him. David knows that deep in the heart of every man and woman that's made in the likeness of God, there is a desire to be known, desire to be understood. And David knows that he will never truly be alone as long as God knows him well. And this is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about our desire to be known, okay? You know how you can be surrounded by tons of people and still feel really, really lonely? You know, you guys might be there today. You might right now surrounded by a bunch of people in church and feel this deep sense of loneliness. The reason for that is because our heart longs for more than physical companionship. Our heart longs to be pursued. It, it longs to be known. And I want to talk about this desire a little bit more because we have largely ignored this desire, this longing to be known in the church today. We have buried it. We have pretended that we don't need, need it. You know, when God designed us, when God made us, when he created you, he deposited this desire to be known. He, he, puts, he put a bunch of desires in us, okay? But I would say he deposits this desire to be known in our hearts for a specific reason. If you look at any child, you can see this. You know, I have a few little young ones at my house. I have a seven and a six and a three and a one on the way. And whenever I come home from work, okay, they crawl all around me. My son comes to me and he shows me his portfolio of drawings he made all day. Not only does he want to share his drawing with me, he makes me rank his drawing from 1 to 10, like every single one of them. My daughter will come and tell me about every little details about her day. She would tell me about the bugs she saw and she got really scared, but then she overcame her fear, but then she got scared again. I mean, just every little detail of her thought. And my little son, Jaira, he will want to show off the puzzle he completed. Hey, Dad, Dad, I want to show you this. Yes, I know you completed this puzzle 14 times, but you still want to show it to me. What cries out to me is in the heart of every young person and everybody is a longing to be known. And as kids, you know who they go to? They go to parents to be known. Now, I don't know why exactly God put this desire to be known in our hearts, but I have a good guess. God made us and designed to engineer every person for a very specific purpose. And this purpose, I call it, is for intimacy. Okay, I want to talk about what that means in a second. But he designed us to be intimate with him and with other people. And the fuel for this intimacy is this desire to be known. Because of our longing to be known, we will find ourselves drawn and pursuing intimacy with God and with other people. 
right? If you are designed to be a race car driving 100 miles an hour, you need a fuel to push you towards that. You need gasoline, right? Our gasoline for us to pursue intimacy is this desire to be known. What is intimacy? Think about it. You guys heard the phrase like into me see, right? Intimacy. To me, this is what that means. It means that there's true vulnerability, there's true transparency, and there's nothing keeping other people from getting to know who you truly are. To be known. Transparency. You see, when Adam and Eve were created, right? When they were created, they were perfectly situated for intimacy. You know how I know that? Because they were completely naked. Think about that for a second. They were completely naked, meaning figuratively and literally, there was literally nothing keeping them from being completely vulnerable and honest and truthful with each other, right? There's nothing hidden completely. They are known by each other and they are known by God. And what happened when sin came in? After they committed their sin, what happens? They saw, they recognized that they were naked and they hid, Right? So sin came in and destroyed intimacy. It destroyed, it butchered this original design for humankind. And this innate passion to be known, okay, gets snuffed out because it has no outlet. It has no place to go. So what we do is we suppress it. We push it down into the recess of our heart. We've forgotten it, but it's not lost. It's still there. So today, fast forward thousands of years later, We still long to be known deep in our hearts. But to many of us, it's just a fantasy. We tell each other, we tell ourselves, we tell our kids, it's too hard to get to know the real you. Too much baggage, too much selfishness. Who actually wants to work this hard to get to know me? That's what the world tells us, right? But came Jesus Christ and the cross and the redemption. He changed everything. The cross rebuilt the bridge to intimacy we have regained what I would like to call for now on the gift of being known. The gift that God gave us of being known. In John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep knows me just as the Father knows me. I know the Father and lay down my life for the sheep. Think about the statement for a second. It's crazy if you really think about it. Jesus is saying the knowing, the intimacy between me and God, that intimacy Jesus and the Heavenly Father, that knowing, it's similar or comparable to the same knowing between him and us. That's the level of intimacy that he wants to have with us. See, Jesus is boldly declaring that like David, when you belong to him, you've been given this gift of knowing. Okay, It's as if you wrote Psalm 139, that God knows you deeply. He has studied you. Okay, he has examined you. He knows you, your deepest desire. You know your deepest fear, your deepest longing. However, there's a but coming, okay? But we don't know our birthright. When we ourselves have never lived in the environment of being pursued, never lived in the environment of people studying us, seeking us, pursuing us, we don't even know what to do with this gift of intimacy, it's like a foreign language. It's like this random gadget you get. It's like, it looks really cool, but I have no idea how to use it. So why are we here today? Today I'm going to declare something over your life. I want to tell you this longing you had, you always have, to be known. It's not weakness. It's not weird. You're not high maintenance. You're not being picky. Okay? There's a legitimate desire in every single person created by God to be known. 
That God cares for you to study you, to examine you like he did with David, to know the deepest thing of your heart because he's the one who put them there in the first place. Moreover, he wants to send you out as emissaries, his representative, to love and to care for other people by getting to know them, by giving others the gift of knowing. So why is this so important? Why were you talking about the gift of knowing today? Well, for one, if you don't really believe that God knows you deeply, that he understands you deeply, you would be looking your whole life for things to alleviate the pains of not being known. Look, I don't care how tough you think you are. There's a pain that comes to not being known and not being understood. You can't even help it. You're not being weak. That God has designed us that way. If you feel like no one knows you and no one understands you, there is a deep pain in this. So what you do to alleviate the pain, you go look for the answer in other people. Of course, no one can truly fulfill that answer. So what happens, you end up being empty, disappointed. You end up being more hurt. So you, you retreat further into your depression and loneliness. So you seek out more people for help. You get disappointed further and go through this vicious cycle. And then down and down, and eventually hit rock bottom. Now the best case scenario in those, in those cases when you hit rock bottoms, you finally turn to God and you say, you know what, I'm going to give God a shot. I'm going to ask God, does he truly know me? Now that's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario, which happens all the time, seen it over and over again, as you basically made a promise to yourself that says, it's not worth it, okay? It hurts too much. I've tried to put myself out there. I try to be known. I try to connect with other people. It's not worth it. Therefore, I don't want to know you, and you don't need to know me. I don't want to know you, and you don't need to know me. You have cut yourself off from your desire to be known. The problem with this is when you cut those desires off, you also cut yourself off from the desire for any type of intimacy with your loved ones, with your family, with your friends, with God, with your kids. And what you are representing to the world is a God who doesn't care. But God wants to resurrect that heart today. God wants you to come fully alive today. But this leads to another problem when we don't believe that God fulfills our desire to be known. The other problem is this. If there's one thing you can take away from today is that if you don't truly believe that God knows you, you won't really follow him. I'll say it one more time. If you don't truly believe that God knows you, you won't truly follow him. See, for most Christians, I believe the root of disobedience, why we struggle with disobedience so much, is not because we're all shaking our fists at God, we're all rebellious people. No, I don't think that's the case. I think the, tr- the root of disobedience is we don't truly really trust that God knows the desires of our hearts. You think he knows things about you, but you don't believe that he really knows your likes, your dislikes, what, you, what really drives you, your motivation. You don't really believe he knows what you really want in life. Now, let's contrast that with what David said. Look at Psalms chapter 20, verse 4. He said, may he grant your heart's desires and make all your plans succeed. Or Psalms 21, you have given him his heart's desire and not without the request from his lips. Or Psalms 145, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cries and saves them. See, David believes that God doesn't only know his deepest desires, it is God's pleasure to fulfill them because those deepest desires come from him. Okay, the problem 
we have to live in this world, this paradigm that God cares about our deepest desires, I, I've seen a lot over and over again for myself, is because many of us don't have parents. We did not experience this from our parents. We have parents who are good Christians, they are good providers, they taught us right from wrong, but they have never truly sought after the deep things of our heart. You know, I want to share a story from for me, when growing up, you know, it's a little bit difficult because my mom was in second service, and I share that I, I, I asked my mom about that incident. She didn't remember it at all. Um, but my parents are awesome parents. They're they're most encouraging people. They're my biggest cheerleader. They pray for me all the time. But there was one Christmas, you know, Christmas for like a twelve year old is like the biggest day of the year, right? Presents. And our family for Christmas presents, we used to go to the store, like pick out your own Christmas presents, right? Well, one Christmas, I said, you know what? I don't want to go to the store this year. I want you guys to pick out my Christmas present. I want you guys to pick my Christmas present. Now, I didn't realize at the time, but as a young kid, the cry of my heart was basically, do you know me? Does that make sense? I mean, I wasn't intentionally thinking. I wasn't trying to test my parents. I was just longing to be known. So mom and dad, you guys pick out my Christmas present. So Christmas Day came, the most exciting day of the year, opened up my presents. I got a book and like a push-up bar. Basically two things I would never give myself. You know, I want action figures and Transformers and Voltrons or whatever it is. To this day, I buy my kids Transformers all the time just to satisfy that hurt in my heart. I'm not even joking. <laughs> it's true. I play with it most of the time myself. Um, What's my point? The point was the disappointment I felt that day, the disconnect I felt that day. I, I didn't verbalize. I wanted to be like, hey, mom and dad, you disappoint me. I'm not going to say that to them. My parents are awesome. But the pain I felt that day seeped into my heart. And I hear the whisper of the enemy telling me, your parents don't know you. Guess what? God doesn't know you too. And guess what? Your deepest desire is not important to anybody. So don't bother people with the deep desires of your heart. See, I have actually been very blessed. Many people have suffered much worse. You might have parents who have told you, who have cared less about the deep desires of your heart. Or worse, you might have parents who tells you, instead of asking you the deepest desires of your heart, they told you what they were. When these things happen, when there's a lack of pursuit on a young person's heart, it leaves a wound in there. And he tells them that God is the same way. That, he, that your deepest desires are beneath him. Okay? That he doesn't care. He wants you to do good things. But the longings of your heart, eh, he doesn't care. You better keep them to yourself. Since God will not deal with or care about the deep longings of your heart, who's going to fulfill them? He's not going to fulfill them. Who's going to fulfill them? You better fulfill them. You better take it into your own hand and fulfill these deepest desires. Over and over again, this is the testimony I've seen. My wife and I counsel a lot of young people, young adults. And at the end of the day, that's what's happening. They grew up in a good Christian family. They know the good things. They know the Bible. They know things of God. But at the end of the day, there's that disconnect. God doesn't really want to fulfill the deep things of my heart. So there's two ways to think about your heavenly father. If you don't really believe, don't truly believe that God cares about you. He knows you then you will view any call for consecration, any call for for discipline, for dying to yourself as just a duty, it's meaningless. You see God as a distant father who just likes to give you a to-do list, a a busy uh, to-do list. Or maybe at best, a loving father who cares about you, but he has no idea how to connect with his teenage kid. 
That's the best case scenario. Or if you truly believe that God is a God, is a Father who knows your heart, who searches after your heart, who pursues after your heart, then you will see his invitation to die to yourself, his invitation to discipline, to sacrifice, as a calling to cultivate your passion so that you can be fully alive. You see the difference? It's the same call to die to yourself, but one perspective seeing dying to yourself as busy work. The other perspective see dying to yourself as cultivating my passion. You know, when Tiger Woods' dad uh, trained him in golf and, and discipline, I'm sure there were tough times when he makes him wake up in the morning or makes him go play golf when he doesn't want to. Tiger is not resentful because Tiger Woods is passionate about golf, and his dad is simply cultivating that. You see what I'm saying? The, the reason I was reading Father by God by John Elder, he says self-discipline and self-denial should never lead to less life, less passion. Self-denial should always lead to greater passion if applied the right way. Jesus said, I came so that you may have life and life to the full. Which of these views do you have of your heavenly Father? If the devil can convince you to see your heavenly father as a disengaged father who doesn't know your heart, then he has won. So we say stuff like this. I hear young people say this. I struggle with this. God doesn't really know my desire for companionship. He doesn't know how lonely I am. He doesn't know how much I ache. He doesn't get it. So I'm going to take things into my own hand. I'm going to date whoever I want to date. I'm going to have sex with whoever I want to have sex with. I'm going to lust ever whatever image I have because he's not going to satisfy my desires. I got to do it myself. How about this one? God doesn't really understand my need for security, financial security. He doesn't know the pains and the hurts I had growing up. He doesn't know how, how painful it was to being lack, how scared I was. Therefore, he can't fulfill those desires. I'm going to take it into my own hand. I'm going to deal with my own finances, my business, my career. They're mine. They're mine because he can't take care of them. I'm going to hold on to these. It comes from the same playbook, same accusation from the devil. God doesn't know you. He doesn't know your deepest desires. When those voices dominate, you will struggle to truly follow God. This is exactly what happened to the rich young ruler. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Jesus was on his way. A young man ran up to him, fell on his knees, humbly come before him and said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Basically, he says, Jesus, I want more. I want more from you. How can I get more? I want more. Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one's good except for God. You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't cheat, don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery, honor your mom and dad. <clears throat> he declared, I've done all those things since I was a boy. This is a good guy. This is a probably better guy than me. I mean, this is a solid dude. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I might add, he said, he looked at him, he loved him, and he knew him. He says, one thing you lack, sell everything you have, give to the poor. You have treasure in heaven, then follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. What was this young man's struggle? It wasn't the obvious struggle between good and evil, right? He wasn't tempted by lust or greed or anger. By his own confession, he was a good guy. His struggle is this. He doesn't believe Jesus really knows him. He doesn't trust that Jesus knows what truly makes him happy. 
He thinks what truly makes him happy is security, his wealth, his money, his comfort. Right? But deep in his heart, he knew that didn't quite satisfy. So when Jesus told him, hey, you know what? What you're really looking for, your deepest longing, is to follow me. Release yourself from all those things that will tie you back. Follow me. Come and change the world. Come and be a world changer. Be a kingdom builder. Do everything I've called you to do. And rock the world with your legacy. He says, you know what? Uh, I don't buy it. I'm going to stay with what I'm comfortable with. Now, I think there's a deep love for him that says, you know what? He's probably telling the truth. That's why he went away sad. He went away sad. I believe most Christians, myself included, is like this rich young ruler. In general, we want the things of God. That's why we go to church. We don't try to be mean. We're not jerks. We do good things. We pray, read our Bible. But when the rubber meets the road, when God says, time for you to go all in, stop dating me, put the ring on your finger, let's go all in and and be committed, do this thing, you just can't quite make that leap of faith because you don't believe God really knows you. You don't believe that God really knows the deep desires of your heart and he can fulfill it. So what you do is you hold on to what makes you comfortable and secure and you walk away sad like the rich young ruler. That has been my experience for a lot of young people who minister, not just young Christians, Myself, I've been battling this ever since I was a child. Wondering why, what's keeping me from going all in? It's because I don't trust that Jesus truly knows me. So what do we do? What do we, I'm going to give you three parts to this. The first one is the simplest, but it's the hardest. You choose to believe. You trust him. This trusting him is not like an altar call, Sunday morning altar call, you're good to go. This is a journey. This is a lifelong battle to believe that God knows you in and out. He knows you better than you know yourself. That God has given to you the gift of knowing. That he placed the deepest desire in you because to, so that he can fulfill it. Now, if you have a hard time, like me, if you have a hard time believing this, walking this reality out, I recommend you read Psalms 139 over and over again. Just meditate. Lord, you know me. You examine me. You know when I get up. You know when I fall down. I cannot hide from you, Lord. Just meditate on this verse over and over again. Resonate with those words. Let your spirit come alive with those words. Confess the reality of God over your own life. So that's the first part. It's foundational. You choose to believe in what Jesus says about you. The second part gets a little more complicated. You ask him. So you trust him, then you ask him. You walk out your trust. Okay, you live out your trust in him by doing what, Jesus, uh, what David asked. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my desires. Oh, know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, we've been talking about passions, okay. It's actually a little bit more confusing. You see, there's, see the way I see it. There is some deep foundational passions that God has placed in your hearts. And these foundational passions are the things that truly satisfy. But these foundational passions are often hidden, that you don't even know what they are. Okay? And then there's other passions, more shallow passions. They're good and they're normal, they're godly, like pa passion, desires to be secure, desire to provide for your family, desire and passion, you know, to be loved, to be careful. I mean, all those are good stuff. And then there's carnal passions, superficial, shallow passions that the world put in your heart, okay, 
that's not godly. That's, that's just superficial and they, they, lead to, they lead to a perversion of your deepest passions, okay? So there's all these random passions in your heart. The problem is we have a hard time figuring out which passion is which. The hard part is we don't know which passion is from God and which passion is from us. So do you know what you do? You ask God. How's that for rocket science? You ask the guy who understands you, who knows you better than yourself and say, Lord, which passion, are these passions from you or from the world? I can't tell. I can't tell the difference. You know, um, <clears throat> 10 years ago or so, uh, right before I got married, um, I was working a job that was very, very difficult for me. I was looking everywhere to find a different job. I was trying to get out of this job because I just did not like this job. Um, right before I got married here in Crown Point, my old professor from grad school moved to Georgia. He got a tenureship in University of Georgia, and he offered me a job to work with him. It was a great job, better pay, promotion opportunities, everything I was looking for. Okay. The only problem is I got to move to Georgia. Okay. Athens, Georgia. He told me there's a great golf course there, but too bad I don't play golf. But I've asked the Lord. I said, Lord, do I go to Georgia or do I stay in Crown Point? And the Lord told me to stay in Crown Point. So I stay in Crown Point. But my decision to stay in Crown Point wasn't out of like some sense of like self-martyrdom or some type of self-denial. Okay, I wasn't like, oh man, I really don't want to move. But God told me to move, so I guess I got to stay here. Or God told me to stay, so I got to stay here. It wasn't like that at all. Okay. When I decided to stay... I realized, I trust that God knew my desires to make money, to provide for my family, to be promoted, all that good stuff. God understands those desires. But I trusted that there were deeper desires in me that I did not know of that God wants to satisfy. Does that make sense? I trusted there were deeper desires that I don't know, but that God knows. Now, looking back 10 years now, I recognize, man, because I lived in Crown Point, there were way deeper desires to be to be, uh, to be in community, to be, grow, to be in discipleship, to grow, to expand his kingdom. There are deeper desires that I was able to be cultivated because I lived in Crown Point. But I didn't know about those deep, deep desires. But I trusted that God knew. So my job is not to figure out all my desires. My job is to trust him. Does that make sense? Furthermore, do we understand if God really knew us better than himself, uh, we know ourselves, why don't we ask him more questions about ourselves? You know, people pay good money to be known. Do you guys know that? Like in the business world, it's called consulting, right? Think about when you hire a consultant, what do you do? You say, hey, I'm going to give you lots of money. You come into my business, poke around, ask a bunch of questions, and tell me what you think about myself. That's what they do, business consultants do, right? Individually, it's called therapy, Right? Right? You have a therapist come, they ask you a bunch of questions, they tell you all about yourself, and you give them lots of money. Right? Now, I'm not knocking on therapists or consulting. In fact, I'm validating why we need it is because our need to be known. What I am saying is we have an expert. His name is Jesus, who knows everything about us, and he's free. Well, the blood wasn't free, but he's not charging us any money that we can go all day and ask him about ourselves, our deepest passions and desires, and we don't take advantage of that at all. I was working on my house down the street. I was trying to sell it. I went to work on the house by myself. And um, which is kind of a joke in itself because I'm terrible at doing, working with my hands. But I was trying to put like the, the toilet paper dispenser into the wall. You guys know what I'm talking about, toilet paper dispenser. And I just couldn't put that thing together. You know, like the, the round part goes into the, the tube and all. I just couldn't put it together. And I was so angry. Like 
so angry, like irrationally angry. Like I'm so, ang- I'm so glad no one from church is in that house right now angry. I probably utter a few words that you never normally hear me speak. I was so angry because I couldn't put that thing in the thing just together and I didn't want to read the instructions. <laughs> the issue, so after I calmed down, after my blood pressure kind of leveled a little bit, I asked, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, why, why am I so angry about something so silly? And this is what God said to me. He said, you're angry because you feel like you're alone. He says, but you're not really angry. You're actually scared. You're actually scared. You know, a lot of men, they're really scared. They're not angry. They act like they're angry, but they're really, they're scared. You scared you're scared that you're alone and you display that, that fear act like you're angry. I mean, that's a deep revelation to my heart that there's no way in 100 years I would have gotten on my own. Does that make sense? But then the Lord told me, you don't need to be alone. You're not alone. You have plenty of people who love you, who will help you put this silly dispenser on the wall. You don't need to be like this. And he calmed me down. And I went home and I asked my wife, I said, hey, will you go to my rental house and help work on it with me? And next day she went with me and she put the toilet dispenser on the wall and everything was good. True story. Happened last week. But this is the stuff I'm talking about. This is not all crazy supernatural stuff. The Lord wanted us to ask him, why does this thing bother me so much? Why am I so angry when my son says this? Why does, my, why does this thing my wife does that just ticks me off? We don't ask. We don't know because we don't ask him. The Lord wants us to walk out his knowledge of us by actually asking him. So the first part is you trust him. You ask him. And lastly, you follow him. You give the gift of knowing to other people. When you have found intimacy with your heavenly father, when your heart's full, okay, do you realize one of the greatest gifts you can give to other people is the gift of knowing. Now, I've said that no person can replace God for each other, right? I, get, I, still, I still believe that. Uh, nobody can fulfill what God is meant to fulfill. However, God will use his sons and daughters who have found intimacy with him to go and be representative, to reflect his love to others. And I'm telling you, one of the best ways you can be loved is, uh, to love others is you give them the gift of knowing. You know, there's a couple uh, complications to this. I was talking to David Walton about uh, his business the other day. We were just talking about his employees. And I was sharing about how uh, many times we need to extend this gift of knowing, get to know your employees better. And I, I, I said to David, you know, like, I want to be known. Like, I would love for other people to get to know me. Like, um, someone give me the gift of being known, right? And David just said this thing which cracked me up. But it was so true. He said, he just blurted out. He says, <clears throat> he said, but you're so complicated, I mean, he's 100% correct. I feel bad for my wife because I am so complicated. But I guess my point is, I bet I'm not the only person who's complicated in this room. I bet there's few of you out there It's probably just as complicated, if not more complicated. My point is, pursuing people is really hard. You have to study them. You have to be focused. You have to look for patterns that they might not even know this. You have to ask good questions. You have to listen to them. You have to practice empathy. You have to love them the way they want to be loved, not the way you like to love them. Does that make sense? 
You have to love them the way they want to be loved, meaning you have to study which way. I mean, it's just a lot of work. Like, to me, a lot of leaders just don't practice empathy. They'll tell you a bunch of things, but they will never truly listen to you. They'll ask you a bunch of questions, but they don't really listen to the answers. You know, when people say, I'll get to this point in a little bit, but I, I think about Jesus. You know, Jesus knew his disciples well. He knew his disciples better than they knew themselves. It was interesting because Jesus has all the capacity in the world. He has all, he has tremendous gift and talents, but he focused on 12 disciples. And really he focused on three, John's, Peter, and James, right? Peter, James, and John. He focused on those three. I think Jesus was trying to set an example for us that we don't try to know too many people, give the gift of knowing to too many people. Because the truth is we don't have the capacity to do that. If you try to know everybody, you know no one, Okay. Jesus really focused on the few disciples. But think about how he knew James and John, right? He, you know what he called James and John? He called them the sons of thunder, right? They're the one who was going to call down fire to burn that village because they were kind of being unkind to Jesus, right? But Jesus knew them. He saw into them to realize, you know, they would be some of the most loving people. Look at John, the disciple that Jesus loved. I think about Peter. Talk about Jesus giving the gift of knowing to Peter. Now, Peter's like, Jesus, I will lay my life down for you. Jesus is like, eh, I don't know about that. Let me tell you something about yourself. But these are the flip side to that story. After Jesus came back, resurrected, they hang out together. You know, you think this is victorious, the kingdom of God's going to be ushered in. But I bet Jesus saw Peter. He's thinking, that guy, he's still carrying something. There is still weight on his heart. He's still feeling guilty and shame over my denial. You know what I'm talking about? He saw that in, in Peter. So he does, Peter, come here, come here, man, come here. Sit down, sit down. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. I mean, that is pursuing people's heart 101. Take them to the corner. Look at what's really deep in their heart. And reinstating them. Jesus was giving the gift of knowing to his disciples. You know what a great tragedy is? I see this happen over and over again. You can be great Christian parents, good Christian parents, loving parents. You do the right things. You teach your kids the right thing. You take them to church. And you can still lose their hearts. This is really a message to parents and to myself too. I have to constantly remind myself this. We have to be active in communicating to them that you care about their hearts and you want to know them. Look, we're not asking parents to be perfect. You know how hard it is to really get to know a 15-year-old? Oh my goodness. So hard these days. That's not the point. The point is you need to communicate humility to them. Okay? You need to communicate to them that you want to know. They are worth pursuing. The deepest desires of their heart is worth for you. They're not wasting your time. They're not juvenile. They're not beneath you. They are worth your time. You know, when, when, you, when you say this to your kids, when I say this to my kids, why did you do that? I'm not asking a question. Right? Sounds like I'm asking a question, but really I'm not asking a question. Why did you do that? I'm making several statements right there. I'm saying you're dumb, you're an idiot, don't do this ever again. There's no question there. What we need to do instead, especially dads, we need to say, hey son, we all know that was a mistake, but can you tell me why did you do that? 
I want to hear your heart. What are the deepest desires of your heart? What are the deepest desires of your heart? It's the same word. But what is your heart to ask that question? I know how it is. You come home, you're exhausted, you're tired. You just want to turn on the TV. You just want to eat your, di- your, your meal, your dinner. You just want to zone out. But your kids are coming to you and say, hey, I want to be known. Am I worthy to be known? Now, one time I'm at the dinner table. I have my phone out. I'm reading something on my phone. And my four-year-old daughter at the time, she's like, dad, 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 this, this. Tell me all kind of details about her day, her thought process. And like repetitive, same thing at her over and over again. And I'm doing the, yeah, yeah, no, that's great. That was awesome. Yep, really good, really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's as if the Holy Spirit possessed her in that moment. She took my face, turned, so I'm looking at her eye to eye, and she said, Dad, stop saying yeah, 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 and listen to me. She wasn't talking like a four-year-old. I had the hair behind my neck like things stuck. Because I, I felt it was like a God moment. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? I looked around. I was like, is anyone else seeing this? And then she reverted back to a four-year-old again. She started telling me all about her day. But in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me saying, hey, if you don't listen to her, you're going to lose her heart. You're going to lose her heart. But even more importantly, you are misrepresenting me. To her. You're telling her, this four-year-old little girl who just wanted to be known, okay, that your heavenly father could care less about the deep things of her heart. You're misrepresenting me. Man, shoo, the fear and trembling that comes to my heart and the brokenness I've seen in young ladies and young men who have, who have grew up in the church, but they, once they got some freedom, they left the church because they realized God doesn't, they felt like God doesn't really care because their parents never really care. They were brought up right and knowing the word of God, but they left the faith because they feel like God could care less about the deep desires of their heart. All that came rushing out to me and all the pains and the hurt that came from that. In that moment, I was like, man, I cannot lose this moment. I need to connect with my kid's heart. And not only our kids, how about your spouse? How about your wife? How about your husband? Husband, pursue your wife's heart. Study them, mine them for gold. Wife, do the same for your your husband. But husband, really, really, it's on you. Pursue your wife's heart. You know, my wife, I don't know how much time we have left. What time is service in? One o'clock? One o'clock? Second service, I didn't share this around the time. But my wife, you guys know Debbie. Some of you know Debbie. You know, she grew up two desires of her heart, okay, deep desires. One desire is to be beautiful, not the carnal, showy, whatever, but just to be a pretty little girl. Like the beauty of a woman reflects God. It's a good thing, okay. She wanted to be beautiful and she wanted to be a mom and, and a wife. But growing up in her environment dashed those hopes. They told her, if you care about your parents at all, your vein, your superficial is ungodly. So don't ever care about makeup or shaving your legs or anything like that. Just that's ungodly. That's what she was told. And on the other hand, she said, they told her, you have to be independent, self-sufficient, career woman, because that's what we do. So as a young child, there was a suppression of the deep desires of her heart. There was a fracture in her desires. So she carried up to the Lord. She's like, I know the deep desire. I feel the deep desire in my heart, but I know they're wrong, so I need to just suppress it. And what that did, and she forgot about those deep desires. But when she grew up, what that did is it caused depression, anxiety all throughout college and grad school. She doesn't even know why because she's a good Christian girl. 
See what I'm saying? She's good. She did all the right things. She didn't, she didn't, she followed all the rules, but she fought big, huge anxieties and depression, and she didn't know why. Now I came into a picture and I'm like, I'm pursuing her, I'm starting to study her, and I'm like, wait, why is she kind of schizophrenic sometimes? She says one thing and she does another, and just back and forth. You know, like one um, before we um, got married, like a couple months before we got married. So my wife got her uh, Christian counseling degree from uh, Columbia, Columbia University in South Carolina. She got her master's degree. So I'm like, great. You know, so do you want to do this? Yes, I want to do this. You got, you got to pass the board. You got to take the board exam or something like that. So I kind of kept like nudging her like, hey, when are you going to take this test? When are you going to, um, you know, do this thing so you can move on in your career? Every time I talked to her, asked her about this, she would avoid eye contact. She wouldn't say no, but she would avoid eye contact. After literally like 10 or 15 times, I was just like, something's wrong with this picture. So one day I, um, I asked her again. It's like a week before we get, we're getting married. I said, hey, when are you ready to take the boards for this you know, counseling exam? She did the same thing. She turned away. She's like, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to look into it still. And I just felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to be like, I just blurred this out. I said, do you even want to do this? Do you just want to be a mom? Do you just want to be a housewife and a mom? And it's, like, and it's like something awakened her heart. Those desires have been suppressed for so long, she didn't even realize it was there. And she's like, she started to like struggle with that. And she said, this is what she said. She said, is that okay? Of course it's okay. Of course it's okay. And for once she felt the freedom. Because I'm like, man, there's something's wrong with this picture. Let's figure this out. And like I mentioned, as a little girl, Debbie just wanted to be beautiful. But the message for her is like, if you care about your parents, you're being superficial, it's ungodly, all that stuff. So once we're married and going through this, I, I start to see just this contrasting side. She would dress up and she would look at something in the mirror and feel beautiful, feel, feel beautiful, and then she would feel so ashamed. Or I would compliment her, I'm like, oh, you look really good in this. And she would, she would, she would brush away my compliments and she would feel terrible about it. Just this weird, like multiple personality kind of thing. And one day, she and I went to um, Chinatown to get a haircut because only, apparently only Chinese people know how to cut Chinese hair. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, she got this haircut. I don't believe it's true, but whatever. She got this haircut, and she was on cloud nine. She was like a giddy little girl just dancing around. She was so happy. She was checking herself in the mirror. I was so annoyed. I was so upset. We're driving home. I'm like, babe, why do you keep saying you don't care about how you look when you deeply care about how you look? You care about beauty. Why do you act like you don't? And the tears starts flowing. And we start talking. We start processing. We start digging. We realize all these vows and promises and, and condemnation she's felt for caring a little bit about what's in her heart. You see... The battle for your heart is real. The battle for the desires of your heart is real. If the devil can come and says your deepest desires don't matter, then he wins. But Jesus says, I came so that you can have life to the full. And I know the deepest desires of your heart. I want to fulfill it. Even today, my wife is battling those two desires of what the world told her versus the things that God has placed in her heart. It's easy for me to say it. But for her, who's been living that way for decades, every day she has to go before God and say, God, what are the deep desires? You tell me the deep desires of my heart. 
This is a very real battle. And I'm going to partner with her to go through this with her. I want to give her the gift of knowing. I am committed to study her, to listen to her, and help her get there. I want to tell you guys, there are people around you. You probably are thinking about that right now. It might be your, your, your spouse. It might be your, your kids. You might be your best friend who are craving the gift of knowing. It can't be everybody, okay? My worst nightmare is after the sermon, everyone's coming to me and saying, hey, I, want, I would love it. Give me the gift of knowing. I can't. My circles are really full. And you should have a circle of those who you are committed and call to give the gift of knowing. But there are those around you that you are called, starting with your family, to give the gift of knowing to, starting with your spouse if you're married, and definitely your kids, to truly know them for who they truly are. But I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to struggle to give that to them if you don't believe your Heavenly Father really knows you. You cannot give them the gift of knowing if you haven't gone to the presence of the Father and sense and feel His presence, that He knows you deeply and completely. He wants to fulfill your deepest desires. And that's why we're here today. To change the world, to give the gift of knowing to others, it starts with you. It starts with your intimacy with your Heavenly Father. So I want to ask you guys to stand up. I want to pray for you today. If you long for this gift of knowing, if you know in your heart that intimacy has been something that's pushed aside for years and years, but you want it. You want intimacy back in your heart. You want those neurons, those nerves in your heart to grow back. We would love to pray for you. We would love to pray for you this morning. We want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and resurrect your desire to be known. And that's a legitimate desire so you can go and love others. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you, we know you, we trust you, and we believe you have extended the gift of knowing to every single one of us. And Father, there are broken hearts out there. There are those who are lost, those who have lost all intimacy, who are longing to be given the gift of knowing. And Father, we just present ourselves before you and say, Lord, will you, will we trust, help us trust you, help us surrender ourselves to your, to, to your kind gift of knowing us, Help us believe. Help us enter into intimacy with you and believe that you long to fulfill the deep desires of our heart so we can go and love others too. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.